Trumpet Dynamics is published by the GSD Audio Network. To listen to previous episodes and to subscribe to James Newcomb's prestigious email newsletter, visit trumpetdynamics.com. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Ray is the longtime trumpet player with the Metropolitan Opera, and actually he has just accepted a one-year position with the San Francisco Symphony. Very exciting. So, Ray, sounds like you have quite the busy summer ahead of you. It's Yeah, it's a little bit crazy. It's uh, a, lot of, a lot of new rep to learn. How long are you going to be in New York before you go to San Francisco? I actually don't have to head out there until the beginning of September, okay. so I've got a little while. That's got to it's got to be a different vibe going from an opera to a symphony. Do you think? Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I yeah, I definitely uh, the hours will be very different, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's. What do you think is going to be your biggest challenge uh, with the transition? Um, well, my family is staying back in New York, so that oh. will be the most difficult thing by right. far. Um. But as far as the two jobs, I think it will be what to do with all the extra free time I'm going to have uh, out there. Well, there's a lot of wineries. Yes. Go on some tours. <laughs> Go to Alcatraz, of course. Of course, yes. All right. Well, we're talking peak musical performance here. And obviously, Ray has been in the trenches for a long time there at the Met. And um, I always like to start each interview with what you consider to be a moment where you weren't at your best. And uh, it could be a moment of your choosing. It doesn't have to be like you fell on your face and your trumpet fell apart or anything like that. I'm not looking for something like that. But it's just a time where you expected that you were going to play a certain way and it just didn't work out. Can you think of a moment like that? Yeah, I, I can think of a couple of uh, moments like that. Uh, but the ones um, that jump out at me, they, I was lucky they happened very early in my career. Um, uh, the worst one ever was in school. Uh, I was at Manhattan School and we were getting ready to perform uh, Mahler's Sixth Symphony, mm. and, uh, and which is one of my favorite pieces of all time. And I had waited a whole year to play it. Uh, and I over-practiced going into it. Mm. And the day the day before the show, I woke up with a a blister on my uh, oh. on the inside of my upper lip, oh. and and being uh, young and dumb, I thought I could just pound my way through, and so just kept playing, kept playing, and playing, and mm. uh, I probably couldn't play above a G above the staff, and if you know the symphony, that that's not going to cut it. Right. Um, so yeah, and it was it was about ninety minutes of sitting there, uh, and you know right away from the first lick that it's going to be a bad night. Mm. So that was, uh, that was the worst, but it turned out to be probably the best because, uh, I took a, 
I basically ran out of the hall afterwards, took a weekend back at my parents' house, and then came back and about a week later started uh, dating my now wife. Uh, and uh, that was one of the moments that she was like, that was the first time I saw you kind of flail about and fail. Uh, so it, was, it, it worked out. So failure led to a great moment. A very great moment, yes. <laughs> I like what you said earlier. You said you were fortunate that this happened earlier in your career. It's as, it's as if you were like, okay, I can, I've got this out of the way. Now, you know, I can, I, I can, I've, I've got the failure out of the way. Now I can work on being a success. I think, yeah. I, I mean, I really do. Of course, that that reaction, that that response comes from being on this side of it. If I were still that person, you know, 25 years ago when that happened, I don't think I would have that response. But mm. I think looking back over the last 25 years since that happened, uh, I've grown to appreciate what what it meant. Right. You know what what it actually led to and the and the direction that it, it steered me. What was your reaction when it happened? Before your wife, um, before your to, to be wife. <laughs> uh well before i just i i was so embarrassed right uh it, you know it was literally that that um that feel you're basically naked on stage yep. i mean you're you know it's uh all those movies you know i always think <laughs> of the um the the steve martin movie the lonely guy when he walks in and he says he walks into the restaurant he says table for one and then everything <laughs> goes blank and the spotlight comes on him and and everyone's staring. That's what it felt like. It was and and uh, plus it's such a good piece, and everyone was playing so well. Uh, and it was like, here I come in to ruin everything. <laughs> well, you got it out of the way, and now you've uh, seen some things there at the Met. And I'm I'm just kind of curious. <clears throat> can you describe for people who may not be familiar with your job, just how much the magnitude of the music that you play, you have so many things going on at one time. Uh, just, can you just describe what you do at the Met? I mean, I think, I think I've had to boil it down to one, to even one word. It's really, you just have to be listening all the time. Mm. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're listening to the head of your section. You're listening to, um, the heads of the other sections, the violins, the winds, you're listening to how a singer's phrasing something on the stage, and if the conductor's fighting with them or following them or leading them, it, it it's pretty, you know, and it's it's everybody in the orchestra uh, is doing this, and there's, there's been some amazing moments where it looks just like everything's going to fall off, come off the rails uh, in one of these, you know, highly intricate, very fast-moving scenes. And everyone's ears just go seem to go to the same place, huh. and everyone just waits for that split second, and then boom, we're we're right back on, and uh, it's it's an amazing feeling. But it's the listening aspect of it is it's exhausting, but uh, but very you know fulfilling. You get to listen to really great players, so that's always nice. How many operas do you, do you do like one opera per week? No, no, we do. Uh, we're usually running about three operas every week. Mm. Um, so they do, you know, they'll do uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and maybe one on Thursday, a, a fourth one. And then you'll do uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday will be the first three again, more or less. They may 
flip flop depending on what is supposed to be on the broadcast or the HD uh, movie broadcast on Saturday afternoon. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's usually how it goes. And then during those times, those are running. We're rehearsing the ones that are going to fill in the spots that those when those vacate. So you obviously have so much going on. What do you do? You, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of digging here, but do you have any tips for staying focused? Like one opera to the next, totally different music, totally different vibe. What do you do to make sure that your mind is focused on each one when you're changing parts so often? I think the you know I, I was looking at this like the the um, one of the one of the things you were uh, like regarding stage fright and that it's like. I think you really want, I try to listen as much as I can. Like I said, it's, it, that's a major part of the job, but the more I can get into hearing something, what something's going, it it becomes less overwhelming. You don't feel like you're alone. You're, it's Mm. almost like, you know, if you could relate it to being a child, you know, and you're in an area of a store with you, you have no idea where you are, or what's happening. You, you instinctively reach up for your parents, your mom's hand, or your, and you, you know, you try to hold on to somebody. And I feel sometimes that listening to a colleague, someone, mm. you know, someone who's ready to lead it or, and it might even be you that, you know, we're all doing it for each other and, you know, with each other, the more you can listen, it's more like, you know, energetically, we're all kind of grabbing onto each other and holding hands. <laughs> Do you ever have moments where everything is just like you already described some of these moments where everything, it feels like it's about to fall apart, but describe the moments where, where everything is going, it seems to be going perfectly. It, it just feels magical and it, you just feel like nothing can go wrong. Do you ever have moments like that? Oh, yeah. All yeah. Right. I mean, that that's, uh, you know, <laughs> it's it's funny. Um, this, this weekend was the end of the opera season. Okay. And... Uh, and we did an HD broadcast of Rose and Cavalier. So that's the fr- freshest one. And, you know, it's, it's my last, it was my last opera, uh-huh. on, uh, until I get back from San Francisco or, or, or whatever, whatever happens there. Um, but, uh, it was, it was one of the most intense and amazing, uh, performances I felt like I was, I've been part of at the Met. Um, it was, you know, huge energy from the audience. Um, I felt like, like every time someone played something, they were really listening to how someone was handing them the phrases in the orchestra and on stage. Mm. And then when they were finishing their phrases, they were handing them to the next group of people to play and to continue it. Yeah, it was, it was emotional. It was Mm. an emotional day. You know, there were a number of colleagues, you know, I'm leaving for the year and a number of the colleagues are, are are either retiring or leaving for a year or longer. So it felt it felt very uh, profound, mm. and uh, it was it was it was an emotional day. But it felt like you know it was Renee Fleming's last Rosen Cavalier. I guess she's retiring that role, and so the lights went up when it was over, and people had torn up all their opera programs, and they came showering down onto the stage and uh, into the pit, and it was just it was just a, one of those magical moments that you just think this is. This is unbelievable. Wow. Not exact. I mean, it's got to be phenomenal to just be at the Met. That That's one thing. But what you're describing is just taking it to a whole new level. It, it is. Yeah. I think, when, you know, I turned to Dave Krause and, and we were both saying like, 
how is this? This is our job. Like right. this is what we come to. You know, this is the end of the work day for us. And it's like, you know, no, not many people get to, right. to like, hey, you finish your day and now you get showered with confetti and standing ovations and and uh, and you're in the movies and and you're playing trumpet. Like that's you know, I mean, even though that was the pursuit of of you know the goal uh, was to wind up in an orchestra, I don't think any one of us really envisioned to that degree of looking at and seeing you know 4,000 people standing up and and they were so dressed up it was literally like uh like out of a movie i mean it was just uh it was just incredible so that was just this past weekend that was just saturday afternoon yeah so that would what the 13th of may yep 13th. wow how about that how about does it ever feel like we're we're talking about this right now, and it's an emotional high for so many reasons. Does it ever feel like you're like it's just a job, or do you do you um always are you able to appreciate or how do I want to say this? Do you ever have a time where it just sort of feels like a job? You don't have what you just described, but you're like, okay, I just have to do this. I just have to grind it out and get through the next gig. Do you ever have times like that i'm i'm sure there are but you know if Mm. i think about it i think the one the times that that happens and this is something that i've I've realized over the course of the 14 years now that i've been there um you know it's a job you're you're stuck with very much the same people night in and night out which are great people but there's always uh the tendency you know when you're in the grind to get some negativity involved. And I think it was about four or five years ago, it dawned on me that most of the time when I was feeling like it was a grind or it was negative was those were the times when I felt like I was working through something, some difficulty in my own playing Mm. where I would, uh, you know, tend to, Oh, if I could just play with this guy in tune or this person is this, and that's really bothering you. And then I realized that, no, that's only bothering me because my playing's not the best it can be. Hmm. So since then, even when something's, you know, I mean, opera's not always scintillating, um, <laughs> <laughs> just to put it mildly, uh, you know, there are moments that that can drag on. And uh, um, But if you're playing well, I feel like if I've done the work that I need to do and I'm in the spot, where my playing is is at its best, um, the time goes by much faster, and it's always much more enjoyable. Hmm. Which day of the week is feels um, the least inspiring, for lack of a better oh way of wording it? And the reason I ask is because I had Paul Barron on the podcast earlier, and he's a lead trumpet player for, he does a lot of Broadway shows, like uh-huh. tra- traveling Broadway shows. And he was describing... Their work week is, I guess, similar to yours. It's Tuesday through Sunday. They'll do shows. And Tuesday they have, um, you know, visiting musicians or like hometown musicians where they are. And everyone's on top of their game for the Tuesday rehearsal, Tuesday evening performance. And then Wednesday comes along and everyone has that first performance sort of out of the way and they let down their guard a little bit. And before you know it, they, they lose their concentration and, Nothing, nothing major, but you know things happen. So I'm just kind of wondering: is there a day of the week where it's you find a just a little bit more difficult to focus than others? 
I don't think it's a, a specific day of the week, but mm. it, along those very same lines, uh, you know, a lot of times we'll we open shows on any, you know, it could be any day of the week. Right. But it, very similar to what you were just describing, the second show or the third, there's always that one that mm. comes up and you go, the energy isn't here. I'm not feeling it from the group. I'm not feeling it. Uh, and then you might step in a hole and, and play when there's nothing going on or uh, uh, something where it's just, you know, or you had a long dress, dress rehearsal that day mm. for the next opera. But there's always that one in, mm. a, in a run. It's usually within the first four um that you'll get one that you go wow that was not that was not what i was hoping for um so yeah it's less of a you know the funny thing because when we're when we're going you know we get sundays off Hmm. but then the day it almost feels very uh i always think it feels very close to when i was freelancing you it's never the same opera on the same day never the same rehearsal schedule week in and week out uh, even performance schedules. Sometimes you're on a show, sometimes you're not, depending, you know, how heavy the show is. Um, so the Monday through, you know, Sunday through Saturday rules don't apply. You'll, you'll be on a Thursday and you'll be like, this feels like a Monday. <laughs> uh, just, you know, so it, they can they get very, very blurred. That sounds like uh, the life of a podcaster, actually. I'll <laughs> 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 start to look the same after a while. Yeah, All it's right. hard. It's you know, it's very difficult. Well, we're just gonna jump right into the hot seat segment after we take a moment to thank our sponsor. Ray, you are now on the hot seat. Do you think you can stand the heat? I know I can. All right, it's five minutes before you go on stage for a performance. What are you doing? Uh usually I'm just checking, make sure the equipment, the valves are good, I have my mutes. Um and if it's five minutes before the performance, I may just be in the pit just checking a couple of little things. Uh, but before I get into the pit, it's it's usually the oiling of the valves. It's making sure I have everything to walk into the pit um, and just kind of uh, focusing on what the next, you know, what the first couple of licks will be, uh, what I'll have to what I'll have to play. What is the best performance related advice you've ever received? Uh, that was an easy one. Uh, my late brother, um, about 17 years ago, he, he, this was right before he passed away. I was just coming back from playing, uh, from taking a leave of playing. I had taken a year off, uh, and I was getting ready to do a small audition. And I remember talking to him about saying, if I do this and I do that and I do something else, you know, you know, really micromanaging everything I was thinking about this audition. And he just in a very calm way said, you know, You'd be fine if you could just get out of your own way. And that was the best advice I've ever, to this day, uh, before and since, received from from anybody. Uh, you know, it's just being able to let let things flow and not trying to achieve so much in each, you know, micromanaging it. Um, it's been a it's been kind of my mantra. Hmm. Just get out of your way. <laughs> that is good advice. All right. Can you share a tip for our listeners who might be dealing with stage fright? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think the, the, you're not, you know, as <laughs> similar to what we were just speaking about earlier, uh, I really do try to utilize that image of when I'm listening to somebody, uh, the more I can hear what's going on around me 
and get off of my own focusing on what I have to play. It's, it's that energy, that energy sharing, energy shifting uh, connection that you can have with the performers around you, whether it's, uh, you know, another trumpet player, um, just the brass section, a pianist, if you're playing just a solo trumpet thing, just try to communicate uh, within the group, and then the audience will get to observe and, and watch something that, that, uh, that could be very profound and, and enjoyable. What's a non-musical activity that helps you succeed as a musician? Uh, I like to run. I like to play softball. Basically, kind of athletic stuff. Um, those kind of, you know, help me keep energy levels for when I need to play up, but uh, they also take that edge off uh, that, that can, uh, can build up when you're not being active, and they keep me in a good mood with the endorphins. All right, this is the last question of the interview, but it is a doozy. And philosophy, go to the wind. Details here. You are on stage. It's the end of the performance. The audience is on its feet, giving you a standing ovation. They don't want any more. They don't want any less. Everything is absolutely perfect. What have you just done? Tell us who you played with, where you played, uh, what you played. Just paint a picture for us. Oh, well, I mean, I think... Like I, I would have to refer to that Rosen Cavalier again. Uh, it was, it was perfect. We were, you know, at the Met movie theater, cameras going, Renee Fleming on stage, showering down the the torn up programs. Um, what a great cast it was! And playing with uh, Dave Krause was playing principal trumpet, Eric Rossius principal horn. Uh, Michelle Reed Baker, uh, who just retired. It was her last show as second horn, longtime second horn. Um, Paul Pollard, Damien Austin on principal trombone. Paul Pollard's leaving to go to Indiana. Uh, so it was, uh, it was such an intense, focused performance. Everybody, you could hear everyone just laying out and, and pl- laying it on the line and playing for each other. Uh, and after the performance was over, uh, you know, I've known Dave Krause a long time and we're, we're really close friends. Uh, and they blacked out the pit and the lights came on and I looked over at him and we shook hands and he looked at me and I just said, don't. And I was, I, you know, I, I started to tear up a little bit and, uh, but it was, it was really, it was one of those, uh, perfect moments. Well, that's a wrap for this episode of Trumpet Dynamics telling the story of the trumpet in the words of those who play it. Are you a true listener? Visit TrumpetDynamics.com to learn more about the show and subscribe to my email newsletter. You can also find us on Facebook, where we record a live Pay It Forward Friday episode each Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Just type in James Newcomb on Trumpet.com into your browser to find the Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and we will be in your earballs soon. You're still here. You must like this show or something. Well, I've got a special offer for you for hanging in there to the very end and proving yourself to be a true listener. I have 
a brand new, and it is exclusive for devoted fans of the Trumpet Dynamics podcast. It is called The Secret Chamber of Don Clarino. It's brand new. I don't even know what's going to come of it. I'm honestly not even really involved in it, but I'm contractually obligated to tell you about it as an employee of the Trumpet Dynamics podcast. So if you want to learn more about it, here's the URL, trumpetdynamics.live forward slash DC, trumpetdynamics.live forward slash DC. There's a short registration process and you'll be in there. Okay. I don't know if I'm even allowed to be in there, honestly, but check it out. See if you like it. Later.